a day I've looked forward to for a long time. Michael asked me a pretty good while ago if, if I would like to preach today, and I, I said, absolutely. And I put it on the calendar, and I looked at it, and I thought about it, and prayed for it. And sometimes you have days like that that you're looking forward to that you're excited about. But we also have other days that aren't that way. Have you got that one date on your calendar, that one thought, maybe it's just every Monday, that one thing that you look forward to that you're not looking forward to? That you wake up at 3 in the morning and that's what you think about? That you worry about? Maybe it's a conversation that you have to have. It's a task that you've got to do. It's a meeting you've got to sit through. It's something you've got to watch. It's something you don't know how to do. But you have that moment where you say, here's my breaking point and here's that thing. You ever had that? Now, when we're thinking about things we're dreading and things we're listening to, I, I think my son, his thing that he dreads is having to listen to me talk. I asked him this morning, I said, or yesterday, Kate, I'm preaching in the morning. Do you want to stay in here and hear me or go to kids' crew? Kids' crew. <laughs> it's amazing. But we all have those moments. And as I think back to that, I remember a story about my little brother who's also here. For Cody and I, when we were little, the thing that we dreaded, the thing that we worried about all week long was church. It was Sunday morning church. And the way it worked at our church was this. You'd get there, you'd have to wear all these stuffy clothes that you couldn't really walk around in and this and that. And you had to be really quiet and you couldn't move and you couldn't talk and weren't allowed to color and this stuff. And the way our family sat is me and my brother sat in one row and my parents sat behind us. And the reason they did that is really pretty diabolical because my dad, who's otherwise a pretty good human being, has the meanest ear thump you have ever seen. And when we would talk during church, when we'd cause a problem, when we'd you know, breathe, <laughs> whatever the case would be, we'd get one warning right by our ear, just like that. And that'd be all the warning you had. And the next time that you did something that you weren't supposed to, you laughed or you whispered or you did whatever, you'd get an ear thump. And it hurt so bad my ears still hurt, still hurt when I think about it. Now... I just kind of learned to live in that misery and to deal with it every Sunday. But my little brother Cody, who's here today, he, he's kind of an untamable spirit. He's got this indomitable will. And one Sunday morning, Cody's probably five years old, maybe, I don't know, maybe four. It's like August. It's a hot day like today, and we're getting ready for church, and we put on our dress clothes and everything. And then Cody goes and gets his Dallas Cowboys starter coat. And, he, and you know what I'm talking about, like the down coating. And, and I mean, it's always appropriate to wear because it's Dallas Cowboy. But it's going to be somewhat hot. It's, it's made for the winter. And he gets it, and it's got this gigantic hood and this, this gigantic padding. And I'm wearing it. I'm wearing this coat. I'm wearing this coat. And so my parents kind of gave in and said, okay, Cody, you can wear your coat. So he brought his coat, and we're sitting there in church. And he giggles or I giggle or something, and here comes the warning thump. And I'm thinking, here it comes, but not Cody. All of a sudden, I hear, whoop, he takes his hood, puts it on, pulls the strap up, zips his coat all the way up, folds it over like this, folds his arm, turns and announces to the whole First Baptist Church, Warica, I got my hood on today. <laughs> and Cody found a way to conquer that moment. Cody found a way in that thing that we'd been dreading that I had just resigned myself to, Cody found a way to overcome it. 
okay, in such a way that I think my dad laughs so much, he's covering his face right now, he's sitting back there, he laughs so much, I don't think I ever got another ear thump. Like, he faced the day and conquered it. And it was a wonderful thing. And when you have those moments, you got to treasure them. When you have those moments of victory, it's worth remembering, it's worth writing down, it's worth talking about. And we're going to look at one of those moments today, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 23. If you want to be turning there, I'll set the stage. It'll be a few minutes before we get there. We're going to have one of those moments where David faces an oh-no situation. David faces what I would consider a hopeless situation. I'm going to kind of set the stage for what's happened in the three chapters before we get to chapter 23 we're going to pick up. David is the personal assistant to Saul. God has anointed Saul to be the king of Israel. He's anointed David to be the next king of Israel. David is married to Saul's daughter. And I think he probably looked up to him quite a bit. But then all of a sudden his role model, his father-in-law, his father figure, the person that is supposed to be God's representative for the kingdom of Israel... Decides he wants to kill David. Kill him. Not be mean. Not mistreat. Not neglect. Not tell a joke about. Not make an ugly Facebook post. Kill. And so David is on the run. And when David runs away, he runs to the city of Nob. And he encounters the priest at the place where he had killed Goliath. And he says, I don't have a sword. I don't have any food. I don't have anything. I'm on an urgent mission and I've got nothing. Do you have anything I can eat? And the priest said, well, I got five stale loaves that were consecrated for the priest to eat. I guess you can have those if you're clean. He said, I'm clean. He said, do you have a weapon? He said, well, I've got Goliath's sword. It's probably too big for you. David says, that'll work. He takes the sword. He goes along, goes into hiding. Saul chases after him, comes to Nob, finds out what he did, is so angry with the priest at Nob for helping David that he slaughters all 85 priests, kills them. And then he kills their wives and their children and their cattle. And he destroys, wipes out an entire city because they were kind to David. And the Bible says when this happened that all those who were in debt or in distress or discontented came to David and he became their leader. Now, when they were distressed and discontented, it says there were 400 of them. And you think, good, it's better to be one person in the wilderness than 400. Or it's better to be 400 people than one. Well, 400 in debt and discontented and distressed. If you look at every major land conquest in ancient history, or really all the way up through World War II... The key factor to determine victory is not who has the best swords. It's not who has the best military training. It's not even who has the most people. If you look all the way from Babylon to World War II, the key factor is who can feed their army. The logistics of war. Who can meet the needs of their soldiers, meet the needs of the people in front of them. And here David is literally begging for stale bread and has one sword that's too big to hold. And he's got 400 people who it says right here, are those in debt, they can't afford to pay their own. He's in a situation that went from hopeless 
too hopeless and depressing. And that's where we pick up the story. David is being chased. He's being pursued by Saul and his army and his soldiers. And he's got 400 people to tag along. And he's so worried, he says, I can't even take care of my mom and dad are with him. So he takes him to the kingdom next door. And he leaves them there and says, please take care of my mom and dad. And that's where we pick up the story. And here's what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. You have to bear with me. I'm out of practice and I accidentally closed my Bible. Okay, 1 Samuel 23, 1 through 6. It says, Then David was told, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors. And he inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord answered him, Go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? And once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. And he inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Now Abiathar, son of Abimelech, had brought the ephod down with him, and he fled to David at Keilah. Now, what happens? They're being attacked by a superior force. They're outnumbered, outmanned, and overwhelmed. And then the Philistines attack the city in Israel, Keilah. And David, sworn to serve God, he's the general of Israel, says, what am I supposed to do? So he asks God, God, I'm already fighting Saul. Do you want me to do something else? And his soldiers come to him, and what do they say? They say, right here in Judah, not just in Israel, but in the part of Israel that's our hometown, we're afraid. Right here where we are, we are afraid. How much more so if we also fight the Philistines? You ever been there? Have you ever been to your breaking point when you said, this is all I can take? I am juggling as many balls as I can juggle. I have got as much on my plate as I can carry. And then something else happens. That's exactly where David is in this story. So what is the question that he had? Because most of us in that situation, if we say the Philistines are attacking, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, cool, maybe Saul will stop attacking us and go attack them. Maybe I can get them to fight each other. Maybe I can use this and stay out of this. I'm going to hide. I'm going to run. But that's not the question that David asked. David said, do you want, talking to God, do you want me to do even more? God, here is another problem that you have laid before me for your kingdom. Is it for me to handle? I'm doing as much as I can do, but do you want me to do even more? When I read this passage, I think of Isaiah 6, 8, when Isaiah said, here am I, send me. This moment when he says, God, what is it you want me to do? And to most of us, this does not sound fun. To most of us, we think, I can get by on my own 
without adding this other thing here or this other thing there. And, you know, we're Baptists. One, two things we talk about as Baptists all the time. Three things. Getting out before the Methodists so you can beat them to line at the buffet. Two, food in general. And three, sin. We talk about sin, and sin's bad. And most of us, when we think of sin, we think stuff we're not supposed to do. And if you're really, really deep, you think, and stuff you're supposed to do that you don't. And that's how we define sin. But if you look at the Bible, the way the Bible defines sin, it's this word, ha martano, or a martano. And in the Greek language, a means not. You might be familiar with atheist, which is not atheist, not a person who believes in God. Martano means bullseye. It's where we get our word marksmanship. And so, ha martano, a martano, means not the bullseye. And if you and I want to look at our life and figure out what's sin, what doesn't honor God, what's the thing that keeps us from having a right relationship with God, the question is, anything that does not hit the bullseye, anything that doesn't line up with God's plan for you, anything that doesn't line up with what He has called you or me to do, that can be something bad you're doing, it can be something good you're doing, It's anything that doesn't hit the bullseye. And so David goes in the midst of this strife, in the midst of this fighting, in the midst of this worry, in the midst of this stress, and he prays this prayer to God. God, what is the bullseye? God, what is the goal? What is it you want me to accomplish? And if it's more, I'll do more. And if it's less, I'll do less. God, What do you want me to do? And that's how David faced that situation. And when we have those moments in our life when we say, I can't do anymore, the question is, does God want you to do anymore? Does he want you to do less? Does he want you to do totally different? Does he want you to keep doing the same? The only way to find that out is to ask. The only way to find that out is to seek his will. But we're only willing to do that if we trust his will. If we trust him enough to know that his answer is worth listening to. Which brings me to the next thing David did. David waited on the answer. In fact, if you remember in the text, I love that. It says he inquired of the Lord and said, should I go to Keilah? And the Lord said, yes. And then he went and talked to his soldiers and they were scared. So he said, let me go inquire of the Lord again. He said, God, are you sure you want me to do that? Because this is going to be hard. God knows how we feel. He knows we're scared. And he doesn't mind us keep asking until we understand. In fact, one thing that's very important about the fact that David prayed this prayer twice, he went to God twice, is David didn't just give lip service. He asked a question and he wanted to hear the answer. You ever seen somebody in the hall and said, how you doing? You ever had somebody see you in the hall and say, how you doing? You ever tried to answer them? Just want to mess somebody up sometimes. They say, how you doing? Say, well, actually, I've got this corn on my foot, and it's really been growing. And, and you know, because of that, I've also got this blister. And, and, man, I tell you what, I was watching Friends last night, and this guy broke up with that one. And you can tell I'm old. That's the last show I think I've watched on TV. And, and you just try that and see if they ask you how you're doing the next day. I'm going to admit, there's this one lady I know, and if you say, how you doing, she does that. So I quit saying I say hi. Now, when I see her, right? Because we don't want to hear the answer. 
When I was in the DA's office, let me tell you what made me madder than anything. When you're in the DA's office, you're on call 24 hours a day. If something happens, someone, someone needs to know, do I have probable cause? Is it safe to remove this child from this home? Can I have a warrant? Whatever. They call you because you're their lawyer, and you've got to answer the question. And it's the heat of the moment thing. You can't plan it out. It's not office hours kind of stuff. Let me tell you what made me so mad. It happened all the time. Be three in the morning, the phone rings. I pick it up. I wash my face off. I, they'll ask me a question. Sometimes it'll be something I have to look up. Sometimes I'll know the answer right then. And they'll say, do I have probable cause to make this arrest? And I'll say, no, I'm sorry, you don't. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. They made me mad. Click. Happens all the time. Hey, can I get a warrant for that? No, you can't. Well, I'm going to seek one anyway. Can I write him this ticket? No. Well, I already did. Man, that would make me so mad. Because if you're not going to listen to me, why did you wake me up? Right? People still do it now that I'm in private practice, but I can hand them a bill and then I feel better. Right? <laughs> right? But there's those moments when they ask you a question and they don't want to hear the answer. And David was willing to hear the answer, even if it was the answer he didn't want to hear. And as I look through Scripture... I think of Acts 17.11, which says, and I think we have that on the screen, maybe. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. And God's word is alive, and he wants to talk to us. It's more noble to go look it up when somebody tells you something than not. God never once says, just take somebody's word. It's more noble to look it up than not, to figure out the answer. And some of us say, well, what about, what about if, it, if the Bible doesn't say anything about it? The Bible doesn't say anything about this or that. And people give you examples for that all the time. Well, this wasn't invented then, and that wasn't invented then. But you know what First, Second Peter 1.3 says? That his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. When we get to know God and we get in his word, we learn three different things. Number one, we learn his law. And very, very often in our life, his law makes it plain what we're to do and what we're not to do. The golden rule gets most of it done. Okay? Number two, we learn principles that we can take from the law. For example, the Bible doesn't mention drugs. But the Bible says not to be drunk. So do you think God wants you to be intoxicated on something besides alcohol? Probably not. And number three, we can know the character of God. Because the Word of God is living and active and it's alive in us. And the Bible is the only book you can read that can talk to you. It's the only book in the world you can have a conversation with. And when we read the Bible, we are reading Jesus because Jesus is the Word of God. And that is an amazing thing. And we have a chance. And he says, through the knowledge of Christ, we can know everything we need to know. Through the knowledge of Christ. Now, how do you get the knowledge of Jesus? God speaks through three things. If you've been through experiencing God, you've probably heard this before. He speaks through, through the Holy Spirit. He speaks through our circumstances. And he speaks through God's word. But how do you know if it's the Holy Spirit or indigestion? You line it up with God's word. 
How do you know if it's the Holy Spirit or bad luck or good luck? You line it up with God's Word. God's Word is the key to understanding God's will for your life and my life. And I will tell you something. It might be controversial, but it's true, I believe. Prayer without Bible study, prayer without being in the Word of God, doesn't mean you have to pray and read the Scripture at the same time, but prayer without devoting yourself to and learning the Word of God is like watching television without plugging it in. You might get something out of it, but it's probably going to be from your imagination. Okay? The only way to line that up, to know what God wants, is to get in His Word and read it and see What's the principle here? What does God want me to do? Why did God put me in this situation? And then examine how he speaks through the desires of your heart with the Holy Spirit. And see if it lines up with his word. And David took the time to get that right. And David was lucky because he said, what should I do? And God said, this. And if God gives you an audible answer, cool. Might be more work than that. You might have to get in the word. But it's worth taking the time to get it right, to figure out what the bullseye is for your life. Because sometimes, even though you're overwhelmed, the answer is do even more stuff than you're doing now. And that seems totally counterintuitive. But look at what God did. In verse 5, it says, David and his men went to Keilah, they fought the Philistines, and they carried off their livestock. What's the problem we started this with? How are you going to feed 400 people with no money when you're running through the desert and the mountains and you have no resources and everyone who gives you food, they slaughter? Big problem, right? They went out and fought the Philistines and after they won, they carried off their livestock. God used problem number two to solve problem number one. Because he's God. And that does not mean that, oh man, everything's going to work out. Just name it and claim it. If you want something, pray for it. You get it. Just be faithful. Well, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. It means God's going to work everything together. And something good's going to come out of it. But his definition of good and your definition of good may not line up. Sometimes we got to suffer. Sometimes it's hard. One of my favorite and least favorite stories in the Bible comes from the book of Judges when uh, the tribe of Benjamin, the, the city of Benjamin, slaughtered a Levite's girlfriend, his concubine. And so that priest, he sent out letters to everyone and raised up the other 11 tribes in an army against the tribe of Benjamin. And they inquire of God and say, God, do you want us to fight the tribe of Benjamin? And God says, yes. And so they go to fight the tribe of Benjamin, and 30,000 people get slaughtered. Boom. Of the good guys. And they go ask God again. God, do you still want us to fight the tribe of Benjamin? And he says, yes. And they die again by the thousands. And sometimes God calls us to do what he calls us to do, even if we won't be victorious. Sometimes God calls you to lose. Sometimes he calls you to share Jesus with somebody who will reject you. Sometimes he calls you to take a stand at work for a job that you're about to lose. Sometimes God calls you to give so sacrificially you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. 
but we have to trust him. Now, a cool thing in the story of Judges, they ask a third time, and God says, go, and this time you'll win. And they do, and they win. But that didn't help the 80,000 people who already died that he sent to fight and die and lose those battles. And God sent them. God said, yes, go. But trusting God means even if we can't win, even if we don't think we'll win, we trust God to know somehow he'll work this together for good, whether that's in this life or the next. We're both. And David trusted God that much that he was willing to hear the answer after he prayed. It wasn't just lip service. He actually trusted God that much. That reminds me of Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that's a great verse. We put it in songs. We put it on tombstones. We say that verse. We put it on the cover of Bible study journals. But think about what Jesus actually says. Let's get real and look at the actual words. He says, come to me, all you who are carrying so much stuff, you can't carry it anymore. I've got a burden for you. He says, my burden's easy. Come do this. It'll be easy. Have you ever had someone say, you doing anything? You want to help me with this? And I say, I'm really tired. Oh, well, this will only take a few minutes. Anyone ever says that to you? Run. Right? Oh, this will be easy. No problem. That's what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all ye who are weary and my yoke. In other words, my rope that is tied to a plow with metal stockade, with wooden stockade that goes around your neck is easy. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'm going to hook you up to a plow. Does anyone want to be hooked up to a plow? Particularly when you're weary, when you're heavy laden, when you already have more burden than you can carry. That's what Jesus says. It's exactly what he says. But he says, my burden is easy, and my yoke is light. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. He doesn't say, prop your feet up on the couch and I will fix you some lemonade. Which is how a lot of us define our faith. Anytime you're overwhelmed, let me challenge you to do this. The first question to ask is, is there sin in my life that takes me out of God's will? Number two. Do I know what God's will is? And am I taking steps to align me with God's will? Jesus says, hook up to my plow and your burden will be easy and your yoke will be light. And we still have problems. We still have things that are hard to overcome. We still have situations that challenge us. But if we're going to ask God for help with his plan... We need to be involved in his plan. We need to trust him and be willing to say yes to his will. Whatever that is. Now, some of you are thinking right now, Chickasha, Oklahoma, this Sunday morning, I am scared right here at home. 
I'm scared to know what God's will is because I'm doing all I can do right now. I'm scared to ask God what else to do because I don't want to do anymore. It's a matter of trust. When Jesus says my burden is easy and my yoke is light, do you look at that yoke and say, no, I know, what it, I, I know that's going to be hard to pull? Or do you trust the God who organized the universe to organize your life in a way that you can get through? What's on your mind? What has God burdened you with? What has he called you to do that you have said, I can't? Maybe there's a Sunday school class that you know needs a teacher. And you know God's gifted you in that way. He's given you a burden in that way. But you say, I've got so much stuff going on in my life right now. Maybe there's some kid down the road that needs a ride to church on Sunday morning. Maybe there's some need that you, you're burdened with needs to be filled financially. Maybe there's something that you know that you know that you know God has told you needs to happen. And you say, how am I going to do this? Let me tell you one more story. When I was in college, I was working full-time as a youth minister. And then I had another job. And I was also supposed to be going to school. Class attendance was not my strong point. So we had this big event at church, this revival. It was the last night of revival as, a, as, as really just a shameless ploy to get people there. I had organized this midnight water balloon fight with thousands of water balloons. And people from the church had been filling and bringing water balloons for weeks. And we had these giant swimming pools at each end of the parking lot. And so I had this wonderful game that I diabolically devised where you had these two teams and you could only throw one water balloon from one side before you had to cross across to the parking lot and throw from the other side. So this game would last like hours instead of two minutes. And so we had this all organized, and everything's great, and I'm really pumped about it. I'm really excited about it. And that's going to be on Friday night, or on Thursday night. And Thursday morning, I'm walking to the cafeteria at OU, and somebody comes up to me and says, hey, did you get your paper written for Freedom in Greece? What paper? You know, our only grade in the class, your seven-page paper over the lectures you haven't been there for. No, I haven't, haven't done that paper. Thanks for pointing that out. So I go back to the dorm, just hopeless, thinking, I'm going to be at the church till 2 in the morning. This paper's due at 1 in the afternoon. How am I going to get this done? So I picked up the phone, and I called my dad. I said, Dad, what am I going to do? How am I going to get this done? He said, you're just going to do it. Now hang up and get started. And the only time in my life my dad hung up on me. Click. Got the paper written. Sometimes that's exactly what it's like to be in God's will. You trust God enough, you're going to get through it. You know what God told you to do, and you just do it. You just do it. For some of you in this room, stepping into God's will is this simple. You have never had a moment in your life when you said, God, take me, I'm yours. There's never been a moment in your life when you said, Jesus, be the Lord, be the boss, be the owner of me. You see, every one of us are sins, sinners. In other words, that bullseye we talked about, we have missed it more than once. And God in his perfection 
laid out a plan to move our arrow to the bullseye. To take our misses and make them hits. And the way he did that is he hit the bullseye for us. Now, I don't understand how it works, but the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so Jesus had to live a perfect life and die for me. And he lived a perfect life and he died for you. Whether you accept him or not, he died for you. And in order to accept him, in order to be in his will, in order to be moved to the bullseye, we have to reach a point in our life when we say, God, take me, I'm yours. I know I've made mistakes. Please fix them and be the boss of my life. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. No man can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. So today, if you have never said, God, take me, I'm yours. If you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to be your boss, to make you a new creation, whether you've ever walked an aisle, whether you ever prayed a prayer with somebody, if you never had that moment when you made Jesus Lord, today is the day. The question is, you're sitting right here in this pew and you're already afraid. How much more so will I be if I walk down to the front? Reasonable thought. That's where Jesus comes in. You've got to trust him enough to take that step. Maybe you're here and that's not it. But there is something God has called you to do. And it's time to take that step and do it. In just a moment, we're going to sing, we're going to sing a song. We're going to have an invitation. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, it's time to do it. If there's something else that God is working through your heart, and you want to say to him, God, show me what it is, and I will commit. I am afraid right here in Chickasha, but I will do what you call me to do. You can pray that prayer. You can do it at the altar. You can do it at the front. If you'd like to talk, I think Doug will be down front. Doug will be down front. I'll be down front. You can come visit with us. We can pray through. We can work through what it is. Whatever it is, I challenge you today to say, God, is there something else you want me to do? Father God, as we pray to you now, we thank you that you have a plan that is bigger than us. God, we thank you that you can see the whole field when we can't see over the person in front of us. God, I pray that you would give us the trust to honestly ask that question and honestly obey the answer. We pray this in your name. Amen.